Hello everyone and welcome once again uh, to How to Pakistan and today uh, we're going to be discussing the recent uh, India-Pakistan uh, situation. We've got a great guest with us but before that I'm going to bring on Musharraf Zedi who is just going to introduce our guest to everyone today. Uh, thank you Fasi, welcome listeners um, and thanks for joining us once again. Things have been pretty tense uh, the last few days. Obviously, uh, there's been an ongoing situation in Kashmir. Uh, of course, the attack in Uri, uh, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, but uh, the attack in Uri uh, has really complicated uh, things. Uh, there's been a huge, a huge reaction in India. There's been the UNGA speech by the Prime Minister. There's been the speech, the election speech that uh, Prime Minister Narendra Modi gave uh, uh, yesterday. Uh, and as we sit here, a few days removed from Uri, we're kind of back in that situation where, you know, India-Pakistan, for all the moves that that uh, seem to have brought us closer to some sort of a, the beginnings of, of a dialogue or, or some meaningful engagement, uh, Gone to your mother, feels, father, sister. Yeah, yeah. It feels like it feels like a million <laughs> miles away. Um, it does. It does feel like that. I think we have a fantastic guest. Uh, is a very good friend of mine. Um, somebody who's uh, who I'm personally very fond of. Uh, someone whose opinions and take on the world is probably. I don't know if there could be somebody with a more different take on things than than me. Uh, but I think that's the fun of, of knowing him and talking to him. Uh, and of course, uh, he is uh, no other than Sadanan Dume. Sadanan is uh, a resident a scholar at uh, the American Enterprise Institute. Uh, he's written a book. Uh, he writes a, a regular column for the Wall Street Journal Asia. Um, he comments frequently. He's a huge presence on Twitter. Um, and I think we used to get into things on Twitter, but I think it's important for Indians and Pakistanis uh, that have a few followers to behave in a way that's different than the way that Indians and Pakistanis with followers have behaved in the past. Um, and so even when we have disagreements, we try to keep them private. Uh, but looking at how, how bad the situation is and how different Sadanan's views are from mine and I'm sure from yours, <laughs> Fussy, uh, I thought... You know, we both thought, yeah. uh, Fassi and I thought, that we would be really blessed to get to have a conversation with somebody as smart, as sharp, and probably as angry right now at Pakistan as Sadanand is. So, with no further ado, Sadanand, welcome to How to Pakistan. Great to be here. Uh, as I said before we started, um, I'm a big fan of what you guys are doing. I listen to you regularly, so it's, it's a great pleasure to be on with you. Okay, the problem with Sadanand is he's so damn charming. I don't. I, I just want to talk about like other stuff because I know that if we start talking about India, Pakistan, you know, it'll all be downhill from this great <laughs> moment where he's told us. I didn't know you were a regular listener. That's uh, that's huge, dude. No, it is. I agree. No, no, I listen to it all the time. I uh, the ones that I remember particularly are the one with Hussein Akani, the one with Pratap Bhanu Mehta. The Pratap one is. Uh, I think sort we, of yeah iconic in some ways. He was. Uh, what do you? Let's start with that. Actually, let's. Yeah. Let's. Uh, what do you think of Pratap? Because to me, I'm not sure there's a public intellectual of that of that measure in the world. Like I, I, and I don't say this lightly. Like I follow a lot of folks. I don't know if there's anyone as smart as Pratap. No, I think there's no question that Pratap is a very smart guy, a very refined mind, and a hugely influential public intellectual in India. So, so my, no disagreement there. Well, but my, I guess my sort of complaint with, 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 with life is that people like Pratap, uh, that, that our region and our, our peoples uh, produce, uh, get, get boxed in. Into, I mean, India is not a small place, right? I mean, but it's still one country. And for me, Pratap's mind and the way he thinks has implications that go far beyond India. I mean, I think Pakistanis should be studying Pratap's writings, you know, they, like Pakistanis should be following what he has to say. So much of what he has to say applies to so much of what we live through. Uh, I think even beyond that, I think Middle Easterners should be following. Like, I, I, I think that he's a public intellectual that I feel like by being Indian and by being in India is restricted to India. And I'm not, I, I don't know, it upsets me a little bit. I think that's certainly. I mean, I think there's a, there's an element of truth to that. I think that the 
I mean, if you were to compare him, say, with uh, Farid Sakaria, who's, a, again, a very smart person, I think the kind of soapbox that you get uh, if you're based in New York or London or Washington uh, is different from the kind of soapbox you get if you're based in Delhi. Um, that said, I think Pratap does have a voice. Anyone who follows South Asia uh, seriously has to follow him. And I think one of the happier things about India and Pakistan is that at least serious people do follow each other. You guys read Pratap, I read the Pakistani papers. Yeah. So I think that, I mean, I mean, she's probably not followed and should be followed in, you know, places like Egypt and Venezuela and yeah, exactly. uh, Indonesia. Yeah. But at least I think in the subcontinent and among South Asia watchers anywhere in the world, uh, he's very well known and influential. Where do you and Pratap sort of diverge? Like what are well, the, that's what, a, one or two that's big a, things? That's a pretty obvious question given the comment. No, I mean, I, 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 I am certainly uh, not of a sort of dovish disposition when it comes to uh, how India ought to deal with the question of terrorism, right? So, and I think uh, I saw him, mean, he had a piece after Ori, which is again, you know, as usual, thoughtful and subtle. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, my sense of Pratap, and I could be mistaken, uh, would be that he would come down against uh, any kind of uh, military response, regardless of the attack. I may be putting words in his mouth, but that's how I read his work. Uh, whereas I believe that if the solution uh, that all reasonable people should be working towards is an end to such attacks, um, that's something that can't be off the table. So, um, I mean, how do you foresee an attack happening? I mean, one of the things is that for most people it would, I mean, there's a huge question marks. Why would mm -hmm. you have the confidence that any retaliation or any military action could actually achieve any kind of objective? I think the question marks are legitimate. And I think that anyone who answers that question, uh, in all honesty, has to say that there is an element of uncertainty over there. Um, but what we are certain about, or I think what we ought to be certain about, is that from an Indian perspective, or rather from a narrow perspective that looks upon these attacks as a problem, the current strategy known as strategic restraint is not working. So that, I think, is a certainty. So the uncertainty really is, what will anything else work? Okay, and but... Yeah. There are, you know, different arguments. I mean, obviously, there are sort of strong arguments on both sides. I happen to believe that the current strategy is not working. Uh, therefore, you need to try something else. Okay, so, but I think when when Indians and Pakistanis are talking, I think it's also, it's. I think it's important to acknowledge that we're trying to solve different problems. I, I certainly, mm -hmm. like, I think any reasonable Pakistani is definitely interested in the problem of terrorism in India from the mm -hmm. perspective of wanting it to stop. Uh, it, India, an India that feels beset by terrorism, even even if you know, even if we were to say that in you know, sort of the last twelve calendar months, there's two attacks, five lives in Pathankot, eighteen in in Ori. Uh, you know, this is not. I mean, in terms of you know numbers, it's it, but of course it's the symbolism and it's the it's the impact sure. that this has. Mm -hmm. So I don't think any Pakistani feels good about this. Well, <laughs> actually, I'm sure I, some do. Come yeah, on, exactly. So so maybe I can't even say that. Let's. I don't think any reasonable. Pakistani that wants this country to do well and, and has a pulse uh, and an IQ above a shoe size uh, feels good about these attacks. Okay, mm -hmm. But I think that if we start the conversation from, the, from this vantage point that we have to stop terrorism in India, then I can see there is a reasonability, there, there's reasonableness to looking at strikes or whatever kind of, you know, aggressive military action that, that, that people like Sadanand are proposing. And frankly, I think just in a matter of speaking, just because I've read your piece doesn't mean everybody else has. So I'll just in a moment give you a chance to lay out what, what your argument is uh, fully, Sadanand. But before you do that, just to put on the table that from a, from a Pakistani perspective, certainly I think probably from the perspective of Kashmiris, uh, it may also be of interest for folks to see an end to injustice in, in, in Kashmir. And certainly, you know, 80 folks dying uh, because of essentially uh, maybe... Buckshot. Well, I mean, uh, even the kindest way of putting it is 
unnecessarily aggressive military action in Kashmir, right? Yeah. So I think that, you know, we're trying to solve probably maybe in terms of primary problems, we're looking at different problems, which really goes to the heart of the way in which India and Pakistan are totally unable to talk to each other because it really is apples and oranges. And, and so without prejudice to your oranges, uh, you're not talking about our apples. Is, does that that is sense? true. That is true. But, but I think I thought the, that you know, today we're talking about oranges. But I completely agree that you know that the that the fundamental questions that we're looking at are different. I, I wouldn't you know uh, disagree with with any of that. Um, but my uh, you know most recent column in the Wall Street Journal, and I would argue that the crisis which has seized the, the subcontinent right now uh, may be related to events in Kashmir. But I think uh, is most more directly uh, an outcome that comes from the the Ori attack. So I mean, one thing is like if you can just explain what um, sort of your position is, like how maybe you've war gamed it in your mind. Yeah. Because, so actually, you know, the piece I wrote in the Wall Street Journal, I haven't really, you know, uh, I'm I'm not a military expert, and I have really not got into. Many other people have, um, you know, got into. Uh, the weeds over there about well, you know, what what should it be? Should it be you know limited strikes on the line of control, or should it be airstrikes, or should it be raids by special forces? And that's really not the kind of uh, stuff that I get into in any detail. Um, my argument is more political. I mean, uh, I'm basically arguing that Narendra Modi, as a prime minister, was elected in 2014 to alter the status quo on how India deals with Pakistan. Uh, the status quo has essentially been, in my view, that India suffers a terrorist attack, then it goes and uh, essentially makes a big noise about it and whines to the world about it, then it claims a great moral victory, and then finally it suffers another terrorist attack. So that calculus, I think, is what Modi was elected to change. Um, not all Indians want that change. Many people believe that this uh, that strategic restraint has served India very well. I don't believe it served India well. I was one of those who believed that that calculus should change. And I believe that Modi, by in fact reinforcing that post Patan quote and now evidently post Ori, though I'm not, I'm not, I, I would hesitate to, be, uh, to speak about what India will do post Ori with certainty at this point. Uh, I think he is uh, effectively committing political suicide. So that's really the argument I was making here. And, and now, and separately, sorry, go ahead. So, I mean, the first premise, which is that Modi was elected to change the calculus with Pakistan. You know, we've talked about why India, we had an ongoing conversation, you'll remember, Sadhanand, about the Modi effect, like several months before the election, even, you know, we, we've, we've had back and forths. And probably more than anybody else, I mean, I'm just sort of, I, I'm talking about private sort of conversations in public, so, but, but I'm sure I'm not sort of breaking any trust, or if I am, then you can, then you can punish me for it later. <laughs> but I guess, but I guess, I, you know, if I was to say, who convinced me that the Indian election was not a identity matrix election and that it was a household consumption matrix election. That this election was about, about consumption, about eco economics, about jobs, about growth, about, you know, money. Uh, and not about, you know, what I call sort of Hindutvadi or Hindutvavadi sort of angst or anger. Uh, if, if I had to name one person who convinced me that this was an economic sort of choice that Indians made, I'd probably put your name at the top of the list, not just based on our conversations, but even based on your writings and everything. So when you say that Modi was elected to, you know, change the strategic calculus, I'm sure you're talking about one of the things Modi was elected to do. But no, where, absolutely. But, but okay. where would you put that in terms of the list of things that people expect from Modi generally? Where does Pakistan fit in on that? So let me put it this way. I think that Modi was overwhelmingly elected because he promised development and jobs. And um, I followed his campaign in some detail. And if you went to his rallies and you went to his speeches, this is what he said over and over and over. Right? We're going to give you electricity. We're going to give you jobs. We're going to give you a better uh, economy. And that was the dominant theme running through it. 
But to the extent that Pakistan came up, and Pakistan did come up, he would castigate Manmohan Singh, for instance, for being a weak leader. The example that he would use uh, when he castigated Manmohan Singh was of that 2013 beheading of an Indian soldier. And so it was part of a package. Is it true that the uh, economic aspect was certainly much more important and much more front and center? Absolutely, not questioning that. But to the degree that he had, that he tried to distinguish himself from Manmohan Singh on Pakistan, it was specifically to point out that Manmohan Singh's policies were essentially turning the other cheek. Turning the other cheek does not work. Narendra Modi would no longer turn the other cheek. So and now we see that what he's doing, in effect, is the opposite. I, I mean, I, I follow you perfectly. I mean, that's logical. But then what I don't follow so much, and maybe it's just a matter of degree of emphasis, but let's say Modi doesn't do anything. Let's say Modi ends up being another Manmohan Singh. But let's mm -hmm. also say, and this is not just a matter of speaking, this is actually happening, India's going to grow at above 7% again this year. It's the fastest growing economy in the world hands down, bar none. It's also because because 1% in India means like billions, billions and billions and billions of dollars and a billion people, like just the scale. It, it actually, 7% for India is, it's enormous, right? So uh, it makes me wonder, okay, what if Modi de delivers on jobs, delivers on the economy, delivers on connectivity, delivers on India, if not being a stakeholder in TPP, certainly being a stakeholder in sort of, you know, uh, helping the U.S. and other countries kind of push back on, on China's sort of naval expansion. There's a whole range of things that Modi can mm -hmm. do. And he could fail on everything with Pakistan, but Pakistan's net impact on India, other than Fawad Khan bothering a bunch of, you know, Again, <laughs> identity angry folks in India. I mean, what, yes, there's the Patan court, that's five, and, and, and this may happen again. In fact, I think any reasonable person will assume, given Pakistan's failure to shut down these groups, this is most likely that it will happen again. But the total impact of these are actually negligible in terms of India's real story. So strategic restraint is not about being a weakling. Strategic restraint is about not allowing what is essentially a distraction to distract India from what it's really going after. Now, this is a Pakistani speaking. You understand mm -hmm. that everything I've just said, I have to find a way to sort of, you know, erase, and I will over the next few minutes. But, <laughs> but that's really, I mean, that's really the argument against going, uh, going to war or, or rather doing anything that would escalate kinetic action either on the LOC or beyond. No, I agree, and I think it's a strong it's a strong argument, and there are probably people within the BJP and certainly within the government uh, who would agree with you and then say that this is essentially about jobs and about the economy. Uh, my own view is that there's something uh, else at play that there are intangibles, and that leaders anywhere in the world, you know, whether it's a, a Modi or a Taksin or a Yudhoyono in Indonesia or a Putin or an Erdogan. And they're obviously sort of, you know, they're a longer continuum or a, a, a spectrum. Uh, not all these country, all of these countries are uh, equally democratic. But if you take those kinds of leaders, sort of, you know, who are elected to be decisive and strong, uh, I think that there's something kind of intangible there. There's this sort of aura. And in this case, I believe that suffering repeated terrorist attacks. Uh, Considering especially how the Indian media responds, uh, you, you guys have been on Times Now. Uh, I, I know that you have, Musharraf. I'm not sure if Fassi has also. No. I mean, there is a... You Fassi, Fassi is giving me like this hateful look. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that, 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 that is part of his political reality. And he can't wish it away. And the danger is that from his perspective, from a political perspective, is that... You know, Modi, the man of steel, ends up looking like Modi, the paper tiger. Then what does he do going into 2019? So, I mean, I have another question. I'm also wondering about this whole Uri attack is that, you know, the way India um, sort of brought it front and center immediately and there was a great deal of, you know, highlighting and then it looked like that maybe this time things would be different. I was... One of the things that sort of immediately kept to mind is one is that maybe 
you know, the attention to Pakistan was based more on history than any evidence on this attack particularly, and that subsequently the case for it was also quickly being muddled. Uh, so sort of the decisiveness of, you know, Uri being uh, something that came from Pakistan or that there was any kind of evidence. I mean, if we take out history. So, I mean, is, is, that, is that one of the problems that surrounds uh, maybe Uri and maybe some of the thinking that goes into it? I'm not so sure. I mean, I think your you know your your point about you know, some of the evidence being muddied is is well taken, right? So there were these statements about whether or not there were markings of from Pakistan on the weapons, and first you had a statement suggesting that there were, then we saw a story that suggested that there weren't, um, and it's certainly true that the uh, the main pointer toward this being uh, the work of uh, of of Jaisa Muhammad uh, is historical. But if you sort of, you know, if you, if you look at plausibility, is this a plausible, I mean, we have to sort of ask ourselves, is this a plausible claim or not? Um, or is what I've seen in some of the Pakistani media, uh, the idea that, you know, India staged some attack on itself to kill 18 of its soldiers, or is that more plausible? And if we just sort of, you know, weigh these, I, I believe, rationally, um, even though it's fair to say that there may not be the same degree of certainty here as there was, say, established on the in the case of the Mumbai attacks in LET. Uh, I don't. This doesn't strike me as a particularly implausible claim. No, it's not implausible. I think the argument is is not so much about its plausibility. It's simply that should India embark on, let's say, the reconstruction of the paper tiger into this steel mammoth, um, mm -hmm. on the basis of this case, which as of so far, we're still we're still wondering about the 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 sort of thick black line connecting, let's say, Pakistani terrorists or Pakistani militants or whatever you want to call them to this attack. And and I so, think the reason that's important, I mean, it's it's important for a number of reasons. But um, well, if it's going to mark such a major departure, and you know, once you move forward, whether you succeed or fail. You'd want that it should have some decisive bearings, that it stands up to scrutiny over time. And also that the narrative shouldn't have been screwed up. From, like if I'm Indian, right, mm -hmm. I'm probably angriest right now at like that press conference or that press briefing in which these markings were announced. Because, mm -hmm. because every Pakistani like me and you, Fussy, is yeah. going to talk to an Indian and say, I mean, it really undermines the, the, the robustness of the case, doesn't yeah. it? So I have a sort of, you know, resp I respond to that in two ways. And I think the first is that uh, it does not seem to me that the Indian authorities have much doubt, uh, despite, you know, the stories about, you know, which, you know, did the, were the markings on a water bottle or are they on the gun or not? I mean, I think that's, a, I mean, it's a valid point to raise. But my reading of how the Indian authorities read this is that they are not filled with ambivalence about this. They genuinely seem to believe that this is true. Um, the second is that I think the enormity of this is not measured so much by the thickness of the black line you draw, but by the loss of life. And that's just natural. Uh, if, if say, you know, three people had died in the Ori attack, then I think that the, the, the case for uh, rethinking things very deeply would be much weaker. Um, this is just, it's, 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 it's directly proportional to the loss of life. This is one of the largest single losses of life in peacetime that the Indian Army has, has suffered. So obviously the consequences are going to flow from that um, rather than from you know, the, the, the circumstances that we were discussing. So another thing that comes to mind is also, um, you know, uh, just before we go into anything, I mean, almost we're looking at things, is, what are the major options on the table? So, for example, you find that, you know, there's a bit of, you know, they're sort of talking things back at India. Is one of the major options sort of subversive work within Pakistan, even though that wouldn't necessarily work if it had to be somehow articulated politically subsequently? So I'm a bit skeptical of that. I'm skeptical of it for, you know, multiple reasons. 
Um, I'm skeptical because uh, I doubt very much that India, first of all, has the capability to do it. So that's a sort of simple issue. Um, I don't think it's a good idea for India to uh, lose the moral high ground. I certainly don't think that India should. Uh, uh, so in terms of principles, too, I, I'm, this is something that I don't think is, is a good idea. And finally, I don't think it really solves the political question that I raised in my Wall Street Journal column. Because uh, the very nature of covert operations is that you have to pay, you know, that, they, that they're covert. Yeah, that's, so I think that's what unless they saying, have yeah. some, you know, weird kind of, you know, WhatsApp forward strategy where they make up fictional great covert successes. Um, but we, really, I mean, how many people are you going to convince? Here, here in Pakistan, <laughs> they work. <laughs> and, and India, Pakistan, not Don't that Don't knock different. it till you try it. Yeah. And, and India, already, Pakistan, they've already tried it, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? So the, Did you guys see the story that, like, you know, 20 guys, you know, these helicopters came yeah, across? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... I mean, come on. No, so, so but that's, uh, look, there's one sort of alarming thing that comes out of this, right? And, you know, I mean, we should, we should, I think we should continue to be polite, but we shouldn't be polite to the point of boredom, right? Yeah. And we've kept it really polite so far. Yeah. So I'm going to... I'm not, I'm not bored. So <laughs> No, 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 but no, no, neither am I. It's never boring talking to you, so that, but, but let me, let me, let me frame this in a deliberately sort of pointed way. What I hear you saying is, uh, yo, bro, Narendra, you got to you got to kick ass, bro. Because if you don't, some ninjas not gonna vote for you because they're real angry because you told them you was gonna. So I mean, that's what I'm hearing. That can't be your actual position, man. That, like, no. So that is secondary. So that is definitely that is the political argument. Uh, but the larger argument is the policy argument is that. If India wants to stop these kinds of attacks, it has to find a way to inflict pain upon the Pakistani military. And if it doesn't do that, if it doesn't raise the stakes, it is not going to ever get to a place where the Pakistani army does not feel that it can, in the end, uh, back or, uh, or, or smile upon Groups like the Lashkar e Taiba and Jaish e Mohammed with okay, in, okay, impunity. That's what it a, comes down to. No, but uh, so now we're now we've come to the finally. Now we're having the stake. I think we were having we were having. Oh, this is uh, this is yeah. There's double meanings here, which I didn't mean. <laughs> but I, what I was going to say was we were having a green salad. You were having and, the peanuts <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, now, and now we're coming to the steak, but we're not having steak today. Yes. So we were having green salad before, and now we're having sort of baked cauliflower. Okay. But now we're coming to the real, to the main course. I'm, I'm quite happy to have chapli kebab. Yeah, now, but uh, there's a there's a bunch of other bros, and I you should listen to our uh, Eid al Adha uh, podcast because we talked about we talked about a beef ban, like a self inflicted beef ban by uh, by Muzzies on this side. But, yeah. but but let's we'll come to that in a second. To me, this is an even more uh, sort of this is an argument that 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 concerns me even more. Is there a more painful thing for Pakistani than 1971? I mean, and all Indian uh, leaders now. I mean, Narendra Modi goes to Dhaka and shares pictures with Hasina. Uh, Rahul Gandhi says, my Grammy sort of, you know, broke him up in two. So both Congress and BJP think that 71 uh, was a big, a big victory. What much, I mean, how could you potentially conceive of inflicting more pain than actually the humiliation of 1971, the strategic, the territorial, the economic, like the, the loss in, and the fact that now you have a whole country called Bangladesh that basically is dying at any opportunity to jump in with the Indians and now the Afghans to sock it to the Pakistanis. You know, what month, like I'm just thinking, like, what, what are you thinking? But, but sort of, I have absolutely no interest in inflicting pain for pain's sake. Um, that's simply not where I'm coming from. Um, what I'm trying to look at is how you've, you've had a series of attacks, right? You had the 2001 attack on parliament. Let's just talk about the most dramatic ones. You had the 2001 attack on parliament. Then you had Mumbai in 2008. Then in this year, we've had Patanpur followed by Ori. Now, you have and you've got sort of, you know, other sort of smaller things in between. Now, the, the, the policy question that I'm trying to solve is, how do you stop this? 
Now, I, what I hear from you, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, and which is why it's you know much easier to be a Pakistani dove than, than to be an Indian dove, right? Because the Indian dovish position is that it's okay if India gets slapped around once in a while, and the Pakistani dovish position is also it's okay if India gets slapped around once in a while. I'm saying that's not okay, and this is what you need to stop. So I, I think let me as. Uh First of all, I don't. I'm not sure I'm a Pakistani dove. I'm. I'm. You're not, but I'm yeah. saying in general. Yeah, I, I'm not. I mean, I think Fussy might be, but but I'm definitely not. And so I'll say, you know, I don't. I don't think it's okay for India to get slapped around, and I'll I'll be very explicit about why. It's not because I love India. You know, I mean, I love in some Indians, uh, but you know, I don't love India. My my reason for not wanting to see India get slapped around is pure brutal. Uh, nasty Islamic Republic national self-interest of Pakistan. I think that when India gets slapped around, it feels disturbed and it wants to shake things up. And then we end up having this conversation instead of having a conversation about social protection instruments where you and I can argue about whether or not, you know, BISP and, uh, and Rega and those sorts I, of things. I mean, those are the more interesting and those are the things that, you know, I, that I, Prime Minister Modi talked about in his speech as well. Like, let's have a war on poverty. So for me, the fact that we're having this conversation is both strategically and tactically devastating for Pakistan because we're not talking about the things we should be talking about as a pragmatic... I agree, I agree that it's bad for Pakistan. I would agree, I agree that it's bad for the Pakistani economy. I agree that... Uh, Pakistan's international image has taken a real battering. And uh, all of these are the, you know, arguments put forward by you know, hawks who believe in strategic restraint and that it's, you know, worked for India. Um, but the question really is, uh, how do you stop these groups? How do you, if you were, okay, put yourself in, the, in, 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 in an Indian position. And if the policy question is framed to you this way, you said Musharraf and Fati, I'm sorry, I just how do we stop Jashi Mohammed and Lashkar Taiba and such groups from regularly conducting attacks on Indian territory. How do you solve it? Or do you, I mean, your 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 position seems to be that well, that's just a fact of life. So, I mean, Suck I mean, it up, I mean, even though it's really regrettable. No, I mean, I'm also going to add one thing. Is I mean, just going back to something you earlier said. I think the Pakistani Dove position is more uh, sort of uh, you know intra-centric. It's it's it's. It's about finishing any um, sort of non-state actor, militant group, because there's a large recognition that there's a problem. And, you know, I think as far as the, you know, thing on India goes, I mean, there's also a few strategic differences in terms of sort of, you know, our own civil-military relationship, things like that, which I think puts maybe... A larger burden I'm just saying it's like you know so when I when I so I personally like Musharraf knows this like on the topic of India Pakistan I'm not that interested usually and partly it's because of the same thing the war and poverty the whole thing is I think we've got bigger fish to fry and that this is an irritant that but you know I'm mean, just coming to something that so this time around I mean I did decide to look into things and one of the things that sort of got to me, I, I also thought that, you know, like India for what it is and then what it was, is in some ways even like, you know, this question around what doctrine do we use or how do we respond? But it's also a question, I think, of, you know, changing the nature of what India is, like, you know, that secular polity that, you know, it's got a certain framework and whatever. And yeah, they've been talking about it, this whole non-aligned movement. Yeah, of, yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm, I'm also wondering about that. Like, so when you think about this, do you see India as being fundamentally then different kind of country? Well, I don't think that these are necessarily related. Right? I think that you can be strongly secular, and in fact, India ought to be strongly secular. At the same time, you can take a hardline position against armed, violent jihadist groups. But, you know, so this is the thing that I've been trying to get my head around is that if, what is it that India could possibly do? Because, you know, the threat of escalation, the threat of, you know, giving it all away. I mean, right now we think that we've got rational actors, but if the question is of like, you know, somebody socking it to somebody I else. Don't think, I, don't, I don't think we have See, so that's really that's the heart of the issue, also, right? This is, this a is, the, I mean, this is the debate about, about strategic restraint in a nutshell. 
how do you view the escalation ladder? And should India view the Pakistani military, which ultimately controls the nukes, or controls the nukes, um, as utterly irrational? Or should India view the Pakistani military and Pakistani responses as fundamentally rational in the same way Indian responses have been rational? In which case, right now, if the calculation is that, well, if India, if that it's okay for jesh Mohammed or lashkar e taiba to come across the border and kill X number of Indians, and India will not retaliate using its nuclear weapons because that would be absurd. Why would it not be absurd for Pakistan to maintain restraint if India, for example, were to attack posts on the line of control? No one is saying that Pakistan would not, that, that escalation would not be uncontrollable or undesirable if, say, you know, India were to send tanks I mean, into Lahore. I think that's not the point here. Finally... The point here is, is there, is there, can there be a limited retaliation that is nonetheless punitive, that is able to, that causes genuine pain to the Pakistani military and therefore makes it think twice about following these policies without necessarily escalating to the point of nuclear war. And that's the nub of this debate. No, I think that's, that's a, I mean, that's re parts of it are, are compelling in the sense that at least conceptually it makes sense. But let me, I mean, one thing that, you know, I haven't deliberately, I haven't challenged you on is you keep wanting to inflict pain on the Pakistani military, uh, which of course assumes, and I know that this is your position, or at least I'm asking for you to confirm that it's your position, that basically this attack was conducted by the Pakistani military. I mean, that, that has to be the position, right? You can call it Jaish Muhammad and Lashkar Taiba, but for you, there's no difference between LET, Jaish, and the Pakistan army. There is a difference, but there is no question in my mind, and I don't think there's a question, there should be a question in anyone's mind, that JEM and LET exist with the blessings of the Pakistani military. What, what's the, I mean, is your basis they for would, that? Is, is your, like, what's your basis for that? My basis for that is that these were these are not well. I mean, there's first of all, there's tons of sort of uh, writing about these and their about their history and the ISI's role in this. But apart from that, I think even if you look at even if you take at face value, which I think one should, uh, the uh, Pakistan's approach toward uh, terrorism after the awful Peshawar attacks, uh, I think that Pakistan has been willing to go after, say, the TTP. It has not been willing to. It hasn't shown any evidence that it's willing to go after Hafiz Saeed or, or Masood Azhar. So I uh, in fact, you have you have Hafiz Saeed, you know, addressing uh, big Eid gatherings and so on. So the fact that these figures live with a certain degree of impunity in Pakistan, I don't think would be possible without, at the very least, the connivance of the military. So, uh, so I, I, my, no, go ahead. I, I was going to take it to another topic, but... Uh, well, the, this, I just ahead. want to yeah. finish this sort of train because I think it's interesting. Look, I think that there's no question uh, that it's legitimate for people uh, to, to ask questions about the pace of Pakistan's fight against violent extremism, right? That's a question that people like myself and Fassi and many others, much more eloquently and much more effectively than either of us, have been asking within Pakistan. It's a debate that's been going on in Pakistan and it's a well before, yeah, well before Peshawar, and it'll continue well after whatever the next attack is, wherever it takes place. So I think, that to the extent that you know somebody raises questions about that, it's fine. My and this is a genuine. This is not a defense necessarily, but it's a genuine mm -hmm. question. Is that there really isn't any? any sort of smoking gun type of evidence that links the formal decision-making structures within Pakistan with these groups. Now, I totally think, uh, without question, that there's a responsibility on these, on these formal structures to really lay down the law. Uh, if we're going to be a sovereign country, for me, part of that includes making sure that none of our sovereign space is used against other countries. We have a problem in Kashmir. Let's have that problem out the way that our prime minister did at the UNGA and a and hundred other ways. But the one way that isn't legitimate for us, whether we pretend to know about it, know about it. So I think, you know, I, so I think one second, let me just clarify here. It, it's your you're saying that you do forget the sort of you believe that the ISI does not have and has not had a role in 
the creation and fostering of the Lashkar-e-Taiba and the Jaisa Muhammad. No, I no, I never said That's that. Not. I think the historically, so, you, so there is a role, but it's not formal chain of command, is what you're saying. Here's what I'm saying, Sadanat. I'm saying that any given attack, going back as far back as we want to go, linking it to a formal decision of the Pakistani state to do this is tenuous. I'm not. I'm not even. I'm not even. I'm not even suggesting that it's not possible. I'm saying that to establish that beyond a shadow of a doubt is really difficult. I mean, that's kind of the, the trick here, right? I mean, so, so I'm, I'm acknowledging that, one, that there has been a role. Uh, this country has played footsie with these kinds of groups for a long time. And so it's, I, don't, I don't get angry or, or you know, upset when, when mm-hmm. foreigners, foreigners point the finger either at the military or at the country as a whole. Mm-hmm. I guess the reason that it, it, it is a matter of concern at times like this is that there's genuine anger in India. And I get that anger because we've seen our soldiers slaughtered and killed and maimed by terrorists. And we know what it's like to look at your own soldiers' sort of coffins and feel a certain degree of like deja vu every time. And you think, when are we going to fix this? And of course, for Pakistan, part of that response started after Peshawar when we mm-hmm. started fixing it. So when an Indian says they want to fix it, I get it, man. Like that totally. Here's the problem. The problem is that the conversation that I hear in India, when, whether it's you and, and for you it was, you know, the political angle, which, which I just I shared that I, I think that there's got to be more than just the politics. Or it's other, like, really responsible. I think it was uh, Datta who wrote with a couple of generals about uh, JSOC or, or, like, basically, I mean, I read the top and it said special operations and I thought, oh, my God, does an Indian really want a McRaven? And then I read the piece and he actually mentions McRaven. And so, I mean... Again, completely sort of divorced from the reality of what JSOC did in Iraq and what has become of Iraq. And then there was other commentators, again, really serious, responsible voices in India that I take seriously. And I'm reading things like, here's what Israel did after the Munich Games. And I'm thinking, like, wait, who's Israel in this? Because, like, usually it's Pakistan, right? Like the country made in the name of, or, you know, for the sake of, you know, somebody's religious identity. And, and who's the other party? Well, it's the Palestinians, you know, the ragtag PLO of 1972. So it's India is Israel and Pakistan, that's, that's Pal- Pakistan's a nuclear weapon state with 200 million people. This is not like a threat like, oh, you better watch out. This is like kind mm-hmm. of a statement of fact. What I'm saying is when I see friends in India angry, I get the anger. When I see them advocate things that, things that are likely to be escalatory in nature... And I buy your argument conceptually that there's no there's no guarantee that it necessarily will escalate, but there is a very strong risk given the the history around around the LOC. You know that worries me, and it worries me because I'm a self interested Pakistani, and I don't want our countries to be going to war. So I just want to add one thing, and it goes back to something both of you mentioned earlier, which was on sort of the rational actor status. Now, I defer to both of you on this because I'm not well-versed on these things. But, you know, I'm just wondering on some of the calculus of that because I personally think strategic restraint... Wait, works. you're the Pashtun in the, in, in the room and you defer <laughs> to me and Sadanan. On, on this issue, yes. <laughs> but, but, see, look, the, the point being, I'm, I'm just wondering is like, you know, so if the question is like, how can, you know, if the rational actor status is such that you can go into India and do something expecting them not to retaliate, and that's how, you know, uh, it works. But I'm also wondering is that if two, three things, and maybe they don't hold, but one is that this particular sort of series of actions predates nuclear weapons, so it becomes something that's already within the framework. Second is, is that it's also easily confused with what part's indigenous, what part is, uh, you know, state-sponsored from elsewhere. So I'm just wondering is that the safety that we might presume and that you have a certain tactical strike and that you would get engender a certain kind of response that maybe, you know, Kashmir is not the testing ground for this because there's so much that predates, you know, nuclear weapons that has been happening that maybe that's just part of, you know, how the established conventional, um, you know, uh, sort of thing is going between the two. So I'm just wondering what about that? No, so what I'm trying to understand is if this is not a way um, 
for to solve this particular problem. What is? Yeah, you asked that earlier. And what I, what I hear over and over, what, what, what I sort of have, am forced to conclude is that it becomes this position of, well, things are, this is horrible that this happened. Such things should not happen. But India, in the interest of South Asian peace and stability, um, needs to always be the responsible actor in this. So my question is, why can't the shoe ever be on the other foot? Why can't we be having a conversation where, you know, India has uh, retaliated uh, and the conversation is about how it's time for Pakistan to be responsible and understand where India is coming from and understand the larger dynamics and the larger stakes at play. Uh, instead, it's always this one-sided conversation where India has to always be the restrained, responsible actor. I believe not only is it not politically sustainable, but I think that, you know, in the end, that is bad for Pakistan too. It's bad for Pakistan. It's bad for India. It stops the region from really getting a handle on some of these groups. And I don't think it's in anybody's interest, apart from, you know, the, the people who belong to these groups themselves, to have LET and JEM running around Pakistan with the impunity that they do. Yeah, no, no. so I think on that point, there's, I don't think you're going to find an argument. I don't think, again, like I said, uh, responsible, uh, sane, uh, well-nourished sort of, you know, <laughs> reasonable See, people. See, this, this is the problem. We're all too reasonable. No, uh, well, I, and so, and that's my problem, so that is, even though I understand the anger uh, and and the frustration, I'm not sure. I guess one way of putting it is that I expect, and this is just me, right? But I expect more from from India. I think you know to the to the point you made about you know is India always supposed to be the bigger? I mean, first of all, many Pakistanis would say, well, we we'd like to see evidence of that. I mean, yeah. going around showing off about 1971, exchanging pictures. Uh, banning Pakistani cricketers, I mean IPL, you know, we had to start our own thing, you know, uh, which which went great, just by the by, but, but you know, wh why yeah, can't well, you know, I mean, I'm not a fan of all this cultural stuff, I, I mean, I, 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 as you know, I mean, I've, I've sort of, uh, I actually am a great believer that I think Indians should be exposed to, you know, much more uh, Coke Studio and much more of the great Pakistani novelists and, and all of that, so I'm, I'm certainly, you know, Depart from the hawkish position when it comes and to the then, cultural and then side the, of things. I mean, the most, the most in terms of irresponsible. I mean, I would say, you know, the August fifteenth speech. I, I struggle to 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 place in in the specific context of what that speech tried to do, where where that came from, and what the larger aim was. Because all that's ended up happening, you know, as a result of all this, is forcing Nawaz Sharif to become, you know, a very significant Kashmir cheerleader. And if the objective was to get the Sharif or, or anybody else to back off Kashmir, I mean, first of all, I think there is both a strategic and a sort of a, a tactical miscalculation because I think that if people think that there isn't an indigenous element to Kashmir, I think they're, they're fooling themselves. So, so the larger point being, of course, India is bigger and it's grown faster, but to ascribe, you know, responsible, mature adultness only to India when it comes to India and Pakistan is a problem because I think a lot of Pakistani misbehavior is driven by Indian less than adult behavior. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't compare the two, but, but the other thing is, I don't think anybody in the world expects the same from the two. Like you're looking at one point. 2 billion versus 0.2 billion. Looking at, in terms of GDP, I don't know what quantum it is, but I think it's 10 times or more now. In terms of the military spend you guys can do, you just bought Rafales, you're going to be buying F-22s and F-35s within the next decade. And you're going to be buying the Su-35s as well. Fine, Russia sent a couple of hundred guys over here. But, you know, India's trajectory is not what's, uh, you know, at stake when, when something like Uri happens. Yet, the argument from you and from, from other friends in India seems to be, let's put it at stake. Let's forget about the actual trajectory of India. Let's forget about the self-confidence that Indians should be having. And let's go and fight the LET and the Jash on their, on their sort of, let's basically reduce the Indian state and the Indian army to the level of two non-state actors or one non-state actor. And that to me, of course, it's bad for Pakistan in every way, but it also, frankly, is also bad for India. Well, I don't think that's true. I think that what is bad for India is to take continued attacks 
without responding. I mean, this, this, I, I can't imagine any other country uh, that would particularly, you know, uh, particularly given the difference uh, in the size of the economies and so on, that would take as many attacks as India has taken. I can't imagine any other country that would not have retaliated for Mumbai, for instance. Now, obviously, the reason for this is that, you know, the, the presence of nuclear weapons complicates the entire issue. But what I'm arguing for is not that India should sort of, you know, become this extraordinarily irresponsible country. I'm arguing that India should be a normal country. And a normal so country responds when it is attacked. And I believe that over time, that is something that is more likely to change the calculation for the Pakistani army and change the situation in the subcontinent at large. And I think that we can all agree that in the end, a subcontinent where the Lashkar-e-Taiba and the Jaisa Muhammad are not attacking India, and both countries are free to get on with their thousand-year war on poverty or whatever, is a superior outcome. And there's absolutely no question that we both desire the same outcome there. My question is, that where we have a difference is, how are we more likely to get there? And I believe that the current situation is not more likely to get us there. A political resolution to Kashmir is, uh, if it's not the first stop on that on that journey, it's got to be the second. Uh, it can't it can't be anything less than that. And I think that you know, I, you know, just out of respect, you know, we haven't gone uh, deep into that because you know your initial reaction to this was that we were going to talk about Uri. I mean, I don't think we can separate Uri or Patan Court or any other act of terror. Uh, you know, that purportedly has come from Pakistan without considering the impact on the equilibrium in the region, on our histories, on the dynamic within Pakistan, and on the potential for these groups to sustain themselves without talking about the situation in Kashmir, right? So I think that's one sort of, that's one corpus of problems. The other one, just to answer the question, because I don't want you to go away from the conversation feeling like, you know, we evaded this one, or, or I evaded this one, which is this question about what, what is the answer? If it's not India attacking uh, Jesh camps or, you know, you know, blowing out a couple of LOC positions, what is the answer? I mean, the answer is, sadly, and, and frustratingly for a lot of people, but, but not for me in the sense because I'm invested in it in my person, I, I mean, I live and die here, uh, is, is the long game. I mean, the answer is that there is a trajectory that has been, uh, that I think we're in the middle of, we're not even at the beginning of, but, uh, you know, maybe closer to the beginning to, than to the end, but certainly that journey of really confronting violent extremism full on and dealing with the repercussions is something this country started doing. Now, of course, for Indians, they don't care. And, and, so, and, and, you know, let me ask you a question. This is something that's genuinely sort of, you know, uh, puzzled me. Now, if Pakistan wanted to truly convince the world, uh, not just Indians, but every, you know, people in Washington and elsewhere, that the change of heart post Peshawar has been sincere. I mean, I agree that there is some evidence for that, right? So there, that there, there's clearly a greater resolve to go after TTP than ever before. Uh, clearly more resolve to go after some of the anti-Shia groups uh, and, 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 than before. But why not... I don't buy this argument that we have to sort of first completely deal with TTP, then, you know, fully deal with the anti-Shia groups like Lashkar and Jangvi, and then we might find time or we might find the inclination to go after Lashkar and Taiba or Jaisha Muhammad. You don't, there, there's, to my mind, you, the, this argument is over if all that Pakistan does is pick up the top two or three people in these groups and then there's no one in the world who will not turn around and say, look, these guys are really serious. They are trying to change this. Whatever was done in the past was done in the past, but they're no longer keeping these groups open and they're, not, they're no longer keeping this you know, bubbling as part of a strategic option. Um, and I don't understand why we don't see that. I mean, I think, you know, there's people better qualified than me. I, sometimes, sometimes I had the same question, but a lot of times, you know, the response to that question is, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of complexity there. These groups are not small. They've been built up over multiple decades. 
Um, there's a whole sort of societal infrastructure that is invested in all of this. And so dismantling this is, is a tad different from dismantling some of the groups that were both geographically uh, sort of restricted and also whose timeline uh, doesn't go back much further back uh, beyond, beyond the sort of the late 90s. So I think there's certainly uh, an argument there. And I think, like I said, that's a, that's a line of questioning that many Pakistanis have invested in. And, uh, and not to our satisfaction, but, 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 but certainly, uh, I'm just wondering if we've... Are you still with us? I'm still here. Fantastic. So, you know, I think, I think there is something there. But I also think, like I said, that this is a... This is not going to be resolved in a couple of days. It's going to take a long time, and there will be there will be pain on the way there. I, I, you know, and that's not. I, again, I think some Indians would get very angry hearing me say that. Uh, and you're so. Do Trump, you think it will be resolved? Do you do you genuinely believe that the Pakistani army is at uh, you know has this list, and that you know third on the list or whatever are these groups, or do you believe, which many people have suggested? that the way it is viewed, not by people such as yourself, but the way, it is by, the way it's viewed by the army is simply that you know, there are good terrorists and bad terrorists and the TTP and LEJ, well TTP for sure and LEJ perhaps are in the category of bad terrorists and uh, JEM and LET are unfortunately in their view, not yours, in the category of good terrorists. Let me answer that by saying this. Any, anybody in any position of responsibility in 2016 in Pakistan that thinks there is such a thing as good and bad terrorists is leading Pakistan down a suicidal path of destruction, self-destruction. So I think that's kind of, you know, and that, that's a consistent position that a lot of us have had for a long, long time. The fact that there has been some movement on that front is why there's reason, at least in my mind, for us to be... Uh, optimistic that there is a trajectory here that leads us to where we want to get to, but I but I will say that that may not happen on on the at the at the pace and the scale on India's timeline. Uh, on, on on India's timeline. It it will have to happen on Pakistan's timeline. Uh, in the meantime, what makes what worries me is uh, distraction, and the biggest distraction will be in the form of an LOC blowout or a targeted set of surgical strikes or any of the options so that are coming from that, India. That's also mm -hmm. what I think is that an LOC blowout or anything else is that we're talking about sending a message. Maybe the message that's received is that you need to activate these groups, that there is a legitimate aggressor and that one of the ways of dealing with that aggressor is this way. I don't think... DEFCON 6. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it would necessarily... Uh, I think it would stoke a certain kind of nationalism. I think it would, possibly on the strategic sense, maybe rather than saying, okay, this is the bad chess move, it, that this was a chess move that we preempted and we always knew we had to use. And, you know, I'm just also thinking of the military mind. You know, it's also a question of ego. It's a question of, you know, pride and things like that. So, again, going back to it, it might not sound like the best option that India has, but it is one that... Did you, did you guys see that kooky Akar Patel piece in today's Times of India? I haven't. I, I haven't. No, I haven't seen it. What, what does no. Akar say? He <laughs> basically argues that the reason that Pakistan um, is uh, acts violently towards India is that because of partition... All, uh, this is not my. This is his argument. <laughs> because of partition, all the uh, the mercantile castes of the Punjab uh, left, and the only people who left who are left there are essentially um, people who view the world through this shame honor prism, and they would be happy to you know strike a blow at India, even if that means Pakistan itself ends up being hurt economically. This is Patel. This is this is a classic Akbar Patel. <laughs> This is this is funny because if we look at this in caste terms and in, I mean this is really interesting, right? Because what he's saying is that uh, he's saying Pakistanis are dumb peasants and don't expect better. Well, is that's that, one way of that's one way. But here's here's a here's a peasant way of looking at it. He's saying that all the Patels and the traders are begherat and have no sense of honor and shame. <laughs> but, yeah, but, but his view is that, that you know that they are very you know they are practical, sensible, moderate people. Yeah. Well, Gujarat is a real model. <laughs> Gujarat is a real model of moderation and and, and practicalness. I think. Uh, I I don't know. I think that. 
you know, I think there might be something to his argument if if India wasn't, you know, in, having interstate sort of, you know, fights over water. Yeah, listen, I don't buy his argument. I'm just raising it because it's just interesting and provocative. Um, I, I think it's cartoonish to view, you know, to, 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 to view complex societies through that prism. I had, and um, maybe you could answer this, is because, again, because the stakes are so high, I decided to read up on all of this, right? And one of the things that came as a significant uh, sort of, I had no idea about before, was uh, in this whole episode, in some of, you know, the reportage that I'm seeing, especially the analysis, I'm surprised at the level at which there is, you know, if there's an all-out war, nobody wins, but the fact that India has significant weaknesses in the army, I mean, it's got numbers, but the number of issues that keep getting raised, especially in a... Oh, you read, Ajay, you read Ajay Shukla's piece on this, right? And, and the economist's piece. a number of others. There are a number that are talking yeah, about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is something that um, came as quite a surprise. And then I keep thinking about also, like, Pakistan, India, you know, it's all about who won. Like, So who won this non-war or this non... Well, the French yeah. won. The yeah. f- no, the, the, the big winners <laughs> out of Ordi are the French. 8.8 billion. No, no, come on, that happened long before. No, but, but but I do think, and this is not a peacenik or dovey thing. I mean, I, I, you know, I often say to people, we need to, you know, Pakistan needs to maintain a decent relationship with the U.S. If nothing else, for strategic weapons procurement balance. Uh, so, so this is not coming from a guy who's against weapons, you know, on uh, mass or per se. Mm-hmm. But I do, I do think two countries with with the kind of poverty and the kind of problems we have in terms of how we treat our people. Uh, you know, exchanging uh, rhetorical blows on times now and, and signing up to $8 billion plane deals uh, whenever whenever they can. I mean, the argument, I think what I'm hearing from, from Indians, and I follow this stuff reasonably closely, that this deal is kind of not even, it doesn't even come close to actually addressing the gap in the Indian uh, Air Force and that we're looking at deals five to ten times this size over the next decade before... India can feel secure about its airspace. I mean, that is I mean, it. This this deal was supposed to be 126 aircraft, and it's been scaled down to 36. So yeah, this it's a fraction of what it was supposed to be. And, and you know, I, mean, I I I sort of I mean, I see where you're coming from, but I I just don't think that any large country, not India, not Pakistan, not China, uh, no large country views these things in either or terms. Uh, if you look at it in terms of uh, percentage of GDP. Uh, India really doesn't spend that much on defense. I would argue that it spends far too little on defense. But you know, the larger <laughs> question is that you, you know you 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 can't be a you can't be a country that says that well you know I'm going to sort of you know first solve every other problem and then when that's done I'm going to. No, I agree I'm with you. No, no, I agree. I actually throughout this whole conversation I'm convinced. I mean, if we're looking at strategic options, we need an annual Hunger Games. Right, we bring them in a stadium. Everyone gets their, you know, little whatever, and that's it. Then we come back the next year. Yeah, but do you know how many people like that would be the like? Do you, that would be like twenty Olympics combined, right? That, uh, the commercial possibilities are just endless. <laughs> you should be working. For, you should be working for Z News. <laughs> I, I, I'll be with them. <laughs> just tell me, you guys get all these channels in Pakistan? We do. Still? We, we can. I mean, yeah. so the people who are really into this stuff, they have these, I'm, we're not supposed oh. to say, but they have like illegal dish connections. Yeah. Yeah. No, but just regular, your average in your neighborhood, if you, you walk into your neighbor's house and they're kind of watching Times Now, that's a scary thought. No, no. So not the Indian news channels, because frankly, like nobody really cares about what's happening in like Pune, right? But, uh-huh. but they do care what the latest models in Pune look like, especially when they're acting in a soap opera. Like, like a lot so, of people watch Adnab whenever there's a problem. Just to see, like, to what extent... No, no, but I'm gone. saying that no, in terms how of the channels, easy is it's the entertainment to, to channel. Like, let's just say you guys, you decided, or your neighbor decided, not you guys, that, hey, I want to see what Arnab is doing, shouting about today. How easy is that to do? One phone call and, like, I don't know, two and a half thousand rupees... And, and uh, YouTube. Huh. Well, the other one is YouTube, yeah, online. A lot of people, so when I go on Indian TV and sometimes I put it up on, on Twitter that I'm about to go, a lot of Pakistanis that are responding are not responding based on what they're seeing on cable. 
they're responding by just going to like m dot ndtv dot tv yeah. live. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to plug ndtv. I know that that's not that's not uh, that's not the right channel these days. You have to be a little bit more aggressive to be. Yeah, I'm on ndtv all the time. I'm going to be there, be there on on Tuesday. So, <laughs> so Dhanan, this has been a I think too friendly a conversation for the. For the I know, I know. I, I I feel that I've disappointed you. Well, so. I think you've disappointed. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, no, no. You you never disappoint <laughs> me, Sadanan, But you may have disappointed, uh, a, you know, your fan base because I know some of them get very very upset with me very regularly. Uh, but I. I mean, for the record, I've stated repeatedly that I believe that there should be a military option on the table and that India ought to use it. So I mean, what more can I say? Well, I think because of the weakness of your argument, you know, it didn't really. Work. <laughs> the argument was perfectly strong. I think I'm just too, I'm just too sort of reasonable in conveying it. You are. You're far too, you're, you're too nice and uh, and likable, and it's impossible for you to be taken seriously as a as a hawk. So that's, that's the problem. Uh, it's been it's always a pleasure, but in particular this conversation. I think if Indians and Pakistanis can keep talking and laughing, even though they're talking about war. I think we're doing a service to our people. So uh, long may long may reasonable conversation continue. I agree I, absolutely. I, it was. Uh, I will, I will raise a glass of water to that. Oh, fantastic. fantastic! I'm not sure if Fussy's happy with that, but I'm but I'm delighted. I'm and I'm and I'm grateful. Take care of yourself, Sadana. You too. Bye bye. Bye. All right. So we've come to the end of the program. That was a great conversation with Sadana. Dume and uh, you know uh, we weren't able to convince him to not attack Pakistan, but I think we laid out a bunch of arguments. Uh, and he didn't send a virus, so that you know he didn't unilaterally attack. It was good. We need to discuss. We can. We should be able to leave the table with things unresolved. Just come back to it. Keep having these discussions. I and think that's yeah. I think that's incredibly important. Anyway, I'm really grateful to you. Uh, Fussy for doing this, and uh, grateful to Sadan and Dume of the American Enterprise Institute once again. Uh, thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening.